0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception, pregnancy to birth and postpartum. Hey everybody, welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In today's episode, we're talking with Joy Twesigi, and she's gonna be sharing with us a really awesome concept that she has been thinking about and is hoping to see sort of come to fruition out in the world. And what it is, is thinking about social supports as another type of provider for people who are dealing with perinatal mental health issues. So she's going to explain that to us and what she means, and I'm really excited to share this because I think it's a good and fresh perspective on how we can be including more people in the fold of supporting perinatal women. Joy is an impact-driven healthcare administrator with 16 years of progressive experience in health systems and policy. 2017 marks 26 years of starting and managing socially responsible organizations framed around maternal and family support, community and school-based services, and healthcare reform. In 1991, she founded The Dining Room, the first sustainable soup kitchen for Delaware. In 1993, she became a founding member of Andrews House, a not-for-profit community center in the same town. Joy is currently a volunteer Maryland State Co-Coordinator for Postpartum Support International, Ohio Wesleyan University Baltimore Chapter Leader, and Maryland Association of School-Based Healthcare Board Member. Let's hear from Joy. Hi, Joy. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity.
0: Yeah, I'm really happy to chat with you today. And so please kind of encapsulate for us a little bit what it is that you've been seeing in terms of supporting mothers and families that we need to do better with or we can do better with.
1: I got really excited when I read Walker Carr's book. Transformed by postpartum depression, women's stories of trauma and growth, because I really liked how I'm a visual person and that there were some charts in her book that were very helpful and straightforward and how to think about things regarding perinatal mood disorders. And one of the tables that I especially gravitated towards talked about providers. So there was a table with providers and it had multiple columns. And so it had, you know, people in the prenatal category and your medical providers, mental health, pediatric providers, and your labor and postpartum providers. And liked how um, she laid out essentially all of the providers that women touch when they are dealing with prenatal mood disorders. But what I thought was an important thing for me, I had an aha moment about the community and support and network is being A provider type because when you look at the research social support is constantly called out specifically as one of the best ways in which people find recovery is through like support groups whether they're facilitated or informal and so I think putting in the social support as a provider type is really important but then if you do that right? Then that's your family, whether it's chosen or by, you know, blood relationship, either friends, old and new, the faith-based community, and then there are other community-based programs. If social support is a provider type, then I don't think that we do a good job of training all of those people that would be in that bucket. Mm. And so I have been thinking about, you know, what does that training look like? It really happens to be awareness-based at this point where we're trying to push through different organizations and mechanisms about awareness for perinatal mood disorders, which I think is great. But then I think we need to take that next step and around awareness and then educating people and then trying to help people figure out how they can be helpful based on where they are in that social support network. So for me, I've also been thinking about, you know, just as a regular person, am I prepared for things properly? So, for example, when I got married, right, when we were got engaged and, you know, my parents were like, oh, you should do premarital counseling. Okay, that's fine. And a lot of premarital counseling is around, you know, conflict resolution and, you know, do you have the same views about budgeting? But if that was the first time that I had, tried to learn about conflict resolution right before I got married, I think that's a really bad idea. And so ideally, I should be having that sort of exposure from childhood onwards to adulthood. And I think the same thing could be said for perinatal mood disorders, especially for support, because Being a useful, helpful friend is helpful when you were in the third grade as high school and in adulthood. And so how can we teach people these things along the way? Good listening skills and reflection skills and everyone has their strength. And so, you know, if you're a good listener, that's great. And then other people are good doers or distractors. But I think providing really tactical information on how people can be helpful like we do now with mental health first aid, if we could provide a similar kind of training component around perinatal mood disorders for regular people, I think that that would be amazing. And I think that that could really change a social phenomenon pretty quickly, I think.
0: Right. I mean, just as you're talking through this, I'm thinking about what all the multiple iterations and benefits would be of having people sort of trained or in the know that just perinatal mood and anxiety disorders exist. And that's the awareness part. And we're working on that. But as you said, what's the next step? How do you actually help someone? And this is especially, I think, what you're saying is people who aren't specifically trained medically or therapeutically to be the support for someone's going through this. The language would change around how we talk to moms and partners who are suffering, for one that we would just, if people could have more than just awareness, could have some training on what to do, maybe they'd be saying things that were more compassionate and more helpful.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And people could, you know, feel like they could ask for help sooner instead of suffering for as long as they do because they have multiple safe places to go to talk about things.
2: you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
3: Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, it's like having your bestie in your pocket telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.
0: Mhm. Right. So and I think a little bit of how you were saying is that maybe before, is that this is, I mean, I've loved this. I love your concept. I love the idea. I think it's absolutely necessary. And then there's the how. So why do you think people are not very equipped to be more supportive? And what can we do?
1: I think two things. I think one is around empathy. And then the other part, I mean, the word narcissism is a little harsh, but I think there's this sense, at least in the American culture, that if something isn't happening or hasn't happened to me, then it's almost irrelevant, even if you know that it's happening to other people. So I I went to a conference a few years ago, and it was an international conference, and there was a foundation that was talking a lot about empathy and really pushing the fact that we really need to train people about empathy in all these different ways. And I thought, this is such a waste of time. But as I've gotten older and wiser, I do think that empathy or the by raising people's ability to have empathy, those things are connected, right? So you would hear that somebody that you may or may not know has gone through a situation and then you can be empathetic about that and then also think to putting them through, you were putting yourself in their shoes and then you're thinking, you know, when you're thinking about helping and what can I do to help and there's less judgment potentially around all of that mm-hmm. and doing it with healthy boundaries which I think is important but I think being empathetic instead of sort of dismissing that or having a whole lot of judgments around that being empathetic I think can be helpful and so raising those empathy skills and then also when you do that then those things are connected to you. You feel connected. And I think that's also this part of social support and connectivity. So I think that what I'm saying is not necessarily totally articulate is that there are so many people who have been impacted by, you know, perinatal mood disorders. And I think if you talk to folks, they would say, oh, yes, I know somebody, or I know that it's very common, and I probably know someone. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that translates into action. So when you think about, let's pretend that it did, right? Let's pretend that it sort of changed with cancer, right? Like cancer changed the way people talked about advocates for cancer. They changed the way you talk about cancer, the systems of self-care, social support. I think we're driven a lot about, you know, people being willing to talk about it a lot yeah. more people were impacted by cancer so there's a vocabulary around that and people witnessed how you talk about it with family members how
4: mm-hmm. you talk
1: about it with one another how you can support people whether it's at church or a co-worker and how you can suggest to a co-worker oh you're going through this hard time you know, do you want to talk about it? Or even with the HR person being helpful with FMLA, I think that if you think about categories in which the advocates pushed and changed the language and forced everyone to be supportive in a way, mm-hmm. I think that we can mirror that with team advocates. And maybe what it is that they did is that they removed the shame, right, so that you could talk about it. For me, I think role modeling is important behavior to happen because I think that's how it gets embedded into people's lives. So, again, sort of another analogy would be around breastfeeding Mm -hmm. and people breastfeeding in public and having language around that or it not being a big deal. So I feel as though when you're thinking about the social support, when people have a baby, and I think we are slowly getting better in the United States about not just showing up to ooh and off the baby and then run out the door. <laughs> people drop off food, people stagger their visits, they're doing different things. But I think being able to Roll on all for family members, what it's like and how that support needs to be long term
4: mm-hmm.
1: so that it then things just happen. So, you know, I've been talking about this kind of stuff for a long time. I will use myself as an example about the lack of social support that mm-hmm. families have and about how postpartum depression is really important. And then when I have my son, my sisters, who are all younger than me, took it upon themselves to schedule themselves to be a support for me and my son and my husband. And it wasn't that I had to ask or do any of those things, mm-hmm. but they knew, right, that it was important. And so then they filled the need right, because of years of sort of ongoing training by me. And <laughs> I, I thought, it. but you know, but I thought, how awesome would that be? if other families would do that you know so for three months my sisters were around every weekend mm-hmm. and you know every time I was like this is ridiculous I don't need somebody at my house and then I was like "But I don't think I'm going to be able to shower mm-hmm. and I actually kind of really need that support right, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. and yeah, you know yeah. mm-hmm. and I just think it would be really amazing for families to have to turn down help
3: Mm
1: -hmm. than to have to not even necessarily beg it, but it's something that once it's received, right, it is Mm -hmm. so amazing and filling and impacts your whole heart. And so that's when I'm talking about empathy and talking about not being so self-centered because... My sisters are, you know, millennials of which people don't have anything nice to say and yet they know, right, mm-hmm. from modeling that this is an important period mm-hmm. in a family's life and this is how you behave and these are the questions that you ask. And these are the ways that you can be persistent or you know, even when people say things are fine, mm-hmm. well, you know, you have an open invitation. Right. You know what I mean?
0: You know, um, I love that you're talking about this, and it just runs through every part of a person who is pregnant or postpartum to have this kind of support. It just runs through every part of their experience from pregnancy, postpartum, all of that, where they might, may need this kind of support. And as you were talking about it, it, I guess my association to kind of what you're describing is, was that we don't here in the U.S. anyways, have any consistent culture around what we do with and for to support pregnant and postpartum women. And on some level, like you were describing, there is now a bit of a culture around cancer and supporting cancer. I don't know if culture is the, exactly the right word to use—but it's sort of like a mindset that, like, oh, here's a pregnant woman, or here's someone who's having a hard time, here's someone with a new baby, and these are the things that we can do to help, where they don't have to think too hard about it. It's just what we do, and that's mm-hmm. what it sounds like you're talking about getting to.
1: Absolutely, because I've always felt really strongly that it is ridiculous that when you are the person in the middle of the crisis that mm-hmm. you were the person who had to do with that heavy lifting right Yes. so you are going through something and now you have to solve all of your problems and mm-hmm. that's not okay yeah. and mm-hmm. because you are the person in crisis mm-hmm. and so I think it's ridiculous that then you have to find the group and the transportation and juggle the infant care and go through when you're dealing with extreme exhaustion, that that's just going to prolong mm-hmm. recovery and even willingness to try to do anything because it feels so insurmountable to even start, right?
4: Yeah. And
1: so I'm all about not making a person who's having a crisis do the work mm-hmm. and that that's our job outside of that. We should do the work for them. And again, in a healthy boundary sort of way, which to assist them to get above water to a place where they can then take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is the role and why I think community is a provider type, because we are closest to those people who are being impacted and can help do that, I think, the best.
0: Oh man, that would be amazing. It does happen in pockets and there are some, you know, families that do that. And certainly, you know, I've heard of plenty of situations where that doesn't happen, where perinatal mood disorders are totally misunderstood and the burden is put back on the birthing person or the mother to, you know, the whole what's wrong with you, get it together, I need you to have dinner on the table, even though the baby was just born, that kind of stuff. And any number of situations like that. So some people are doing it and some people aren't. I mean, do you have any ideas or thoughts on how to get this idea, this concept for people to be just stepping in and not putting the burden back on the mothers? How do we do it?
1: Well, I, I think that there are some places where things are already sort of operationalized. And so if you look at some home visiting models, mm-hmm. like your family Partnership. Healthy Families America, Healthy Start, and Hippie, mm-hmm. I mean, those programs are already creating this, like, wrap-around room support for families that for, you know, that meet the criteria. of these programs are at risk for a whole host of things. Mm-hmm. And one of those host of things are going to be, you know, perinatal mood disorders. And so there are people who already are functioning there and are with people building that Um, support while they're pregnant and postpartum and for some of these programs it's up to you know two and three years Mm -hmm. so I think it could be also going to these organizations these groups that already exist and help to hone their skill set and then I think there's also opportunities for you know using like mops groups and things like that where we are almost we're going to groups that exist and providing training. You know, I mean, Mother Woman has, in Massachusetts, they have a couple of different kinds of trainings that they do, but it really is really allowing a regular person, not necessarily to become like a community health worker, but they are trained to provide that postpartum support and that postpartum care. And so I think it would be faster to use networks that already exist. Sure. And I think it might even be interesting I haven't really thought through this, but I belong to a whole host of Facebook groups. And I've thought occasionally off and on, depending on the kind of group, if even in the Facebook group, there was some sort of quickie training, because a lot of them have, you know, sort of rules or ways of conduct. And, you know, some are just science based, or some are, you know, mental health provider based or whatever. But the ones that are very peer based, and people are trying to figure it out and they're using each other, I think it might even be helpful to do something there. And I have no idea what it would look like, Mm -hmm. whether it would be maybe something that you could do in terms of a podcast that could be like a permanent link on some of these groups. Mm
0: -hmm. But How to help people figure out how to help a postpartum woman type of a thing?
1: Well, I think even more granular. Like how to be a good listener.
3: Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks.
1: It.
4: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff, play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed check out edit your life wherever you enjoy your podcasts
1: and so I'm thinking like really like granular stuff how to be a good listener and there Are there people who are like I there's probably something for me there you know something super granular how to help you know with boundary setting because this is a huge mess of boundary setting because within this crisis that you're having right all the other stuff is like that wasn't going great is now like really not going great so Mm -hmm. if you didn't have great boundaries with your parents or you didn't have a great relationship with your husband before all this stuff was going on I Mm -hmm. think like you know really specific pieces because maybe you know me being the oldest and having a certain role in the family. Maybe I could be like, oh, here's some like common family conflict resolution issues. And maybe these are like some quick, easy phrases that I can learn to help, you know, with the family. Like, mm-hmm. hey, instead of saying this, why don't we say that? Or I start using them to help model for the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. You know, I think sometimes we get really broad in when how we talk about helping. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes people just need like the actual cookbook or like, you know what right. I mean? Like here's, yeah. here's the recipe for that.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: You do
1: that. Here's the recipe for that. You do that.
4: Cause
1: mm-hmm. so that's what I'm thinking. Cause I think people get overwhelmed when they're like, oh, I have to learn how to help, just like people get overwhelmed when you ask someone, what kind of help do you need? Right. So instead of asking you, what kind of help do you need? I know now as the person on the outside to say, I can help you with breastfeeding. I can help you with food. I can help mow your lawn. Like these are the things I know I can do.
0: Right. right? What are your skills that you can already bring?
1: Right. And so I think it's training people to just, it's really simple, but I think Mm -hmm. it granular and tactical that can help shift mm-hmm. things.
0: So what I'm hoping for on some level right now is that all of the people who are listening, all the therapists, the helpers, the providers, the people who have platforms, who have the ability to put out these kind of like how-to things, are uh, that their wheels are turning and in terms of how they could do like things like you're suggesting in their networks if they already have a platform. And obviously the- is that, you know, it's going to take a lot of us to put this into motion and to change the way we support pregnant and postpartum people, as not necessarily as professionals, but if we have some platform or capacity as professionals to help other people figure out, like just as you were saying, how to communicate about boundaries, how to step in and help somebody with the skill set that you already have, that this could be and would be part of the sea change that is needed to have a better supportive culture around supporting pregnancy and postpartum. So anyone out there who's listening, (laughs) listen to Joy (laughs) and do what she says. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, even though my wheels are turning too in terms of, all right, so that's amazing and great. And what more can I do? And I will jot down some ideas. Because you're absolutely right. It's the burden is constantly being put back on the person who's suffering and that is entirely unfair. And also, you know, instead of just having the pregnant person go into a class, a birthing class or some other class, having family support classes, you know, how Having everyone come in, how can we support bringing this baby into the world and the recovery of this person and who's birthing and and all of those things? I mean, there's Mm -hmm. so many options. Absolutely. Yeah. Joy, I think this is such a useful conversation and I'm so glad this is what you are passionate about and want to talk about. I'm really, really hopeful that the people who are listening can hear this and be a part of this change to improve the social supports for pregnancy and postpartum.
1: Thank you for giving me this opportunity to to talk about it and have a great conversation with you.
0: Okay, Joy, thank you so much for being with us.
1: All right. Thank you. Thanks again. We'll talk soon.
0: All right. So who's pumped up? Who's ready to be putting messaging out there and supporting people to be able to get information and education out to support people so that perinatal folks can have the support that they need and that they're looking for? I really hope that this has been an enlightening and eye-opening discussion and gives you guys some ideas on what you can do if you are inclined and if you're interested to be able to support perinatal women in this way as well. So thank you so much, Joy, for bringing us that perspective. I'm really excited about that. And for listeners, as usual, if you know of somebody who could benefit from this conversation, please do pass it along. I'd love to have you join us at the Mom & Mind Facebook page or at the Mom & Mind Connection Facebook group where we have more in-depth discussions about the topics that we cover on this podcast, share information and resources, and provide support where needed. If you're an organization or have a service or product that is supportive of perinatal folks in this period of time and you'd like to join up and share your message, please consider a podcast sponsorship. I'd welcome an email and a chat. Please feel free to send me an email at momandmind at gmail.com and we will get the conversation started about how we can team up and further the support and resources for perinatal wellness. Please head on over to momandmind.com, find your favorite listening platform, give us a rating, a review on whatever platform you listen to so that other people can find this valuable resource.